The other day, I read an article by Ronald McDonald. No, this is probably not what you're thinking about. This is a real person. He makes and sells all kinds of leather products as part of a ministry to Rwandan refugees. The part of the article that interested me may interest you too. He writes that a friend told him one day that he was a very prideful man. His response to himself was, dude's just jealous. He told his wife about it. His wife said, ah, come on, you are a humble man, seriously. You are not cocky and flashy and arrogant and all that. He said later that week, he was reading a book. The book said that the most prideful people aren't usually the bragging, arrogant types. They are the nice, friendly, helpful ones. That got him to thinking that maybe his definition of pride wasn't quite complete. He began a Google search about examples of spiritual pride and a list of signs of pride. He was shocked about what he found that applied to him. He said he was all over the list. He read many articles and lists written by well-known psychologists and theologians and even Wikipedia. He categorized them into four groups, pride of spirituality, pride of knowledge, pride of power, and pride of appearance. He went back to his wife and said, hey, honey, I think I found out the root of all our problems in marriage and work and ministry and all that. Me, I'm the problem. Listen to this list of signs of pride that I found. He started reading the list to her. She laughed and said, wow, you are prideful. I didn't know that was what pride looked like. So he asked her to pray for him. And then he said, oh, and there were some other signs that I found on the list. When he read the list, his wife's jaw dropped. She said, oh no, I didn't realize I was so prideful either. Will you pray for me too? Now, as you are well aware from reading the Gospels, there were certain groups of people that, look, that took issue with the teachings of Jesus Christ and even his miracles, especially those he performed on the Sabbath day. They believed that if you were a true believer in God, you would keep all his laws and you would know that you were keeping them perfectly. One side group was the Pharisees. They belonged to a movement, scrupulous in understanding and obeying the law according to the traditions of their predecessors. They were also popular with the people. They were respected for their holiness, at least their outward holiness. They tithed meticulously, were careful to be ritually pure, and at least during the dry season, they often fasted twice a week without water on Mondays and Thursdays. And oh, by the way, Later Christians in the second century, seeking to avoid their example, fasted instead on Wednesdays and Fridays. If you were looking for models of outward righteousness, the Pharisees were it. They did not kid around. They took their religion seriously. They were not what you would regard as bad people per se, as we sometimes think. We know that some of them became believers in Jesus Christ before he died. The most well-known to us is Nicodemus, 
who, because of the conversation he secretly had with Jesus at night, when Jesus taught him about baptism and what many people have called the gospel in a nutshell, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We also know about Joseph of Arimathea, who together with Nicodemus went and took down the body of Jesus from the cross for burial. The apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. So the Pharisees were law-abiding people who were very well respected. It was one such person who went to the temple to pray in the parable that Jesus told. A tax collector also went to the temple at the same time to pray. Now, there were two main kinds of tax collectors. There were those who were on the payroll of Rome, the occupying power. They were despised because of what they did, this job. Their jobs meant that they were collaborating with the enemy, the Romans. They may or may not have been wealthy. Then there were those tax collectors who were really wealthy. They would pay in advance to collect taxes from a district. Rome received its taxes from them, and they made their living from commissions of tolls and customs. It was kind of a tax farming system. Because they had paid in advance to Rome, they could collect a lot more and make a lot more money. This was a group of people that were really the ones referred to as tax collectors. They were scorned for their dishonesty. We can think of Zacchaeus as one such tax collector who, after meeting Jesus, pledged to give half of his wealth to the poor and restore fourfold any amount he had defrauded people of. So when Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple to pray, I'm sure the people's initial reaction was shock to have the holy and the unholy together in one place so that they could hear the prayer of each other was shocking. The Pharisee spoke the truth about what he does. He spoke about whom he was not like, those who did not meet his high standards and the holy things he did. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Even though he mentioned God, it was all about himself. No wonder, even though he was supposed to be in the presence of God, he was trashing his fellow human being. That was pride. If he was a sinful person, he was taking care of it himself. He did not need God. Contrast him with a tax collector who would not even raise his head up, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said the tax collector went home made right with God rather than the Pharisee with all his outward righteous acts that he boasted about. The parables Jesus told were not stories floating around. He made them up. Sometimes the point he made by them may make you scratch your head as to what he really meant. But other times, as in this case, it is very clear what he intended by it. He tells us, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He told the parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. The Pharisees' speech and action in the temple was completely sinful, but he did not seem to realize it at all. 
If this were an actual event and he continued that way, it would eternally hurt his relationship with God. Indeed, he would have no relationship at all. On the one hand, on the other hand, the tax collector who was very ashamed by what he had done, and not just as a tax collector, but as a human being. He recognized that there was nothing he could do by himself to earn anything from God. He had gone against the will of God. That's who a sinner is, one who goes against the will of God. He would not even look up as if he would see God by doing so and feel even more guilty. All he was able to say was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He went home made righteous because God had forgiven him all his sins. In fact, all he could do, all he could bring to God was his sinfulness, and that is exactly what he did. Jesus told the parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. But his disciples were there, as well as crowds who were traveling with him to Jerusalem. After he told the parable, people were bringing babies to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. The disciples of all people, so close to Jesus. And this is what they did. It was as if they hadn't heard the parable and the interpretation Jesus had just given. They did not think the children counted for anything, and they did not think that the parents who were bringing the babies counted either. In a way, they too were looking down on others. Jesus had called and appointed them to be his disciples, but now they were trying to prevent others from getting close to him. It was pride on their part too. They too needed to repent like a tax collector. Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. We too are followers of Jesus, but in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways, we may put people down. We may not be like the Pharisee, thinking we are gifts to God and at the same time God's gifts to others. But there are times when we see or hear about people doing some terrible wrong, and our thinking may go along the lines of, I wouldn't do that. We may be saying or thinking that other people, by their actions or circumstances, do not or cannot belong to God. That is pride. What we may not know is that they themselves may not be happy about what they do or might have done. They may, in their quiet moments, pray to God, asking him for forgiveness. And we would not know that. All of us, followers of Jesus, must also repent of our sins. We must be like the tax collector who is asking for God's mercy, because if we don't, it will hurt our relationship with God eternally. That is not God's desire for us. His desire is for us to have an eternal relationship with him. And his desire is backed by what he himself has done and continues to do for us. He is always reaching down to us so that we don't have to depend on the good we do for him or others to make him love us. We don't have to put others down to make ourselves feel better. God works his way down to us to call us to look up to him. The tax collector didn't feel qualified to lift up his head to God and boast about himself, 
but God reached down to him to cancel the things he had done that would hurt his relationship with God. Some people believe in working their way up to God, just as they would work their way up at school, at work, and in society. We value self-made people, but it doesn't work that way with God. He wants you to be a God-made person. Why? Because he created you and everybody else. Second, he makes you the God-made person. That is what counts. It is better by far. He did not do it by just staying far away and making a declaration that everything we do against God's will doesn't really matter. He came down from heaven to earth, was born a baby, grew up as we all do, but never broke the will of God. He lived perfectly, taught the word of God as it should be taught. He loved everybody, yet the religious leaders felt threatened that his love and his work would cause the people to rebel against the Roman authorities and they would lose their positions of privilege and that their nation might be destroyed. They accused him of using the devil's power to perform his miracles. They arrested him, tried him, and had him crucified. He died and was buried. Ironically, that death fulfilled the purpose for which he came down from heaven. That death was not the end of him. It could not have been the end of him. He rose again from the dead and lives forever. He did it for you and for me. So if like the confessing tax collector, you too confess your sins, you can go home in peace because he hears you and takes them away. He makes you righteous. He wants us to come to him and keep coming because if we don't, that hurts our relationship with him. That is not what he wants. He wants to continue to have a relationship with us until he comes again and we get to see him face to face and live in his presence forever. May his desire for you be your desire for him as well. Amen.